Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. I'm not playing in your league unless I can draft myself. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of football, I live a pretty boring life. With Matt Harmon. This is an anti-getting greedy podcast here. Been seeing you guys' podcast kind of blowing up here recently, so glad to get on. It's Thursday, January 26th, and the most important week of football, obviously outside of that one big game that's coming up here in February, is upon us. It's conference championship week, and we have two fantastic games to preview. And even better, we have two fantastic guests to do it with. I mean, guests is a little generous with this crew because it's an FFL reunion, baby. We've got Andy Barons and Tank Williams in the house along with me, obviously, Tank. Welcome back to the show, buddy. We've been trying to put this together forever. It's not you, though. It's this other guy here, uh, Andy Barons. You know, he wins the prop <laughs> challenge, bro. And he, he's uh, apparently he's the busiest man on planet Earth. Can't come on the podcast. What's going on, Tank? Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me, dog. I mean, I guess we're going to get into it in a little bit, but I noticed that you had me on the show and then y'all asked for me to give some props and every prop that I wanted to recommend. Guess who I already stole it? So, yeah, just like another <laughs> show of FFL. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. It's hard to beat me into a document. Like when there's a planning <laughs> document, I'm generally in there two days early. So like you, you guys did it once late in the season. It really threw me off. But but for the most part, like if there's a doc, I'm I'm on it. And the crazy part was that beat you to the punch. And like I took Latavius Murray, you took Cam Akers and then Cam Akers went for like three tubs. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Yeah, what a mess. Typically, yeah, Andy is always in the docks early. I think the week that Tank and I beat you was one of these like midweek holiday show weeks. It's like, yes. oh no, yeah, we're 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 getting this out of the way early. Okay, we're getting <laughs> we're getting to the holiday fun. We're we're enough of this uh, FFL nonsense. Okay, all right, enough real nonsense here. This is going to be a fun show. Like I said, two big big games. I think the four best teams in the NFL uh, are represented this weekend, which is super exciting. But before we get to all that, we finally. And I say finally because I think this has probably been the slowest, which might not be a bad thing, by the way, the slowest coach hiring cycle of all time. It seems like it's taken a long time for some things to get finalized, but we finally do have some news to talk about here. We've got two pretty big hirings here, first of which is Panthers hired Frank Reich as their new head coach today. It sounds like he edged out Steve Wilkes, who obviously did a great job as the interim coach. It uh, also sounds like Kellen Moore gave him a lot to think about. Cowboys offensive coordinator. Um, I guess they loved that Zeke snap play, and they think like <laughs> you know they, they, they managed to bring back Dante Foreman. They could get him as a as a long snapper in there at some point. But on a serious note, Frank Reich, head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Andy, your thoughts? I my initial thought here is that I I feel pretty bad for coach Wilkes. I'm not I'm not sure what else uh he needed to do, right? Like that team was super competitive down the stretch. They win 3 of their last 5 games. Every, every game was uh within one score, I think. Um that was that was about as good a finish as you can get out of a Sam Darnold led off. Like Sam Darnold went something <laughs> like 5 for 15 in his final game and they won. Um I like I get that Frank Reich has a has a pedigree. Um I, you know, certainly deserves to be either a coordinator or a head coach in the league. I have no I have no problem there, but like I don't know. I don't I don't know what else you expected from coach Wilkes uh it, it seemed like a like an almost perfect audition so I feel a little bit bad there they obviously like 
they got to fit. It's so difficult to talk about these head coaching situations and these changes right now, because like they need a quarterback. Um, we don't, we don't really know what that team is going to look like. Um, they're uh, surely they're going to be in on one of the, one of the veteran quarterbacks. that's that's, uh, going to play musical chairs. Maybe they try to get in on Bryce young. I don't know. Um, but it's just a, you know, we're, work in progress right now. And I, I feel bad for the outgoing coach who did everything he possibly could to, to earn that job. Tank, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I have the similar sentiments in regards to Steve Wilkes, but at the same time, I understand the nature of the beast. And the trend in the NFL right now is that if you need a young quarterback, you're going to hire a head coach that has an offensive mind so you can go ahead and groom that quarterback, get your hands on him all the way around, and then hopefully you can build your team up that way. So from that standpoint, the Frank Wright hire makes sense because the Carolina Panthers are right now set up to draft early in the draft. You have a lot of great quarterbacks that will be coming out, whether you're talking about Levis or Bryce Young or or CJ Stroud. And so they'll probably end up with one of those quarterbacks you would like to think. And so then you have that offensive minded head coach that can go in and try to groom them and then hopefully have some good pieces built around them. Because the one thing that you can say is that Steve Wilkes got the most out of that team. And look at what the Carolina Panthers did a couple of years ago where they drafted all defense, like from the first round all the way through the seventh round. And so now that you have that defense in place, you still have a bunch of guys on rookie contracts. You can go ahead and try to get that young quarterback. You already have DJ Moore and some other weapons on offense. Try to build a nucleus around him and you may be able to hurry up and get into a quick winning situation like we've seen with the Cincinnati Bengals, like we've seen with the Philadelphia Eagles that have a young quarterback on his rookie contract. So I think that's what the Carolina Panthers are trying to do now with that Frank Reich hire and drafting a young quarterback here in his upcoming draft. Yeah, I definitely hear all the thoughts about Steve Wilkes, and I think he did a great job. And, you know, if they had went with Steve Wilkes, it actually kind of sounded like from from what I heard and what I read that they were trying to sort of convince these two guys to come on staff together, like either as Reich as the head coach, Wilkes as the D.C., since technically he did start last year as a DB's coach. That would be a, a promotion in a way, obviously, the downgrade from the the head coaching job or the inverse, like Wilkes was going to be the head coach, Reich was going to be the offensive coordinator. I don't think either one of those guys wanted to go for that, obviously. Uh, Wilkes has already said he's going to coach elsewhere next year. So I do think they wanted to s- somehow have Steve Wilkes in the mix here. But on the Frank Reich thing, I do kind of feel like these these two, uh, the, the Panthers and Frank Reich, were sort of made for each other, Andy, because I think like <laughs> Carolina has been on the veteran quarterback carousel for a while here, and Frank Reich has been on the veteran quarterback carousel for a while here, and I think they both want to get off that train. Like, I think <laughs> yes. they both want to. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, who does it better than Frank Reich after working miracles with <laughs> yeah, Carson right. Wentz and Matt Ryan? Right. No, there was there was there was definitely a moment this morning where I was like. Are we going to see Carson Wentz in a Carolina Panthers uniform? <laughs> like, is that is that a thing that's going to happen? But I think the fact that Frank Reich had to go apologize to the owner in Indianapolis <laughs> for bringing on Carson Wentz and then was summarily fired by the owner midseason for Jeff Saturday and ESPN analyst, I feel like we'll probably avoid <laughs> the the uh, the Carson Wentz thing in Carolina. Yeah. But I just think that Reich is a guy, and he's also like a steady hand too. You know, he's not some risky hire. Obviously, they just made a risky hire with Matt Rule. I don't need to tell you all that that did not work out. So I do think Reich is pretty good to to groom along a rookie quarterback that they will probably take in the top 10. And there are pieces on the offense to work with. Like we all like DJ Moore. Their offensive line actually took a pretty good step last year as well. A little infusion of talent, a rookie quarterback. I don't know, Tank, if I'm willing to say that they are like, you know, could potentially go the Bengals route and turn around very, very quickly, like be in the NFC Championship in a couple of uh, years. But I do think there's something. Well, I mean, look at it. The defense is solid. We saw them run all over the Detroit Lions. When you can run for over 250 yards in the first half, you have something going on the ground. You say you like DJ Moore. If you get a quarterback and then you hit on one of these wide receivers in the back half of the first round or in the second round, you kind of cook no, you're right. a little bit of Crisco. No, you're right. Cooking with Crisco. Oh, I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, one last point on this before we move to the other one, because we can say, like, oh, the Cincinnati Bengals now with Joe Burrow and all these other guys. But just a couple of years ago, the Bengals were still the Bungles. They weren't the you're Bengals right. until they made it to the Super Bowl. And that shit happened fast, like two quick years. And so it can happen with the Carolina Panthers, and that's your team. I understand that you're a little bit measured, but that's your squad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, you don't claim with them anymore? You don't claim them? Yeah. I don't. I haven't claimed the Panthers as like my ride or die team in probably like a decade now. At this, they're point. just so, they're on a break. Uh, they're on a little break. It's, okay. As I've always said, it's okay. a complicated. So it's like a Ben Affleck, J Lo type thing. So yeah, once they get good, <laughs> yeah, again, talk to me. Talk back. to me in like 15, 20 years or however long those two were <laughs> apart. Like yeah, talk to me then. 
for now, I don't know. I I can't I can't care enough about the Panthers. Final I mean, final God. thing on this, aren't they? Didn't they win a little too much to to get like they've got some work to do if they actually want they one would of have these to trade top up. of draft yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, you think you'd think that though, Andy. Um, be, but at the same time, like I think we think that oh yeah, the Panthers were pretty good last year because they were you know in contention for uh, to win the <laughs> NFC yeah. South. But they yeah, winning yeah. the NFC South yeah. like was it meant nothing. I mean, they have the ninth overall pick, right? And they now got a lot of picks back from McCaffrey too. That's true too. Yeah, they yeah. have. They are definitely one of these teams. I think them. Um, I think the Colts. You know the Colts pick at the fourth overall spot, but like they're they're two teams that hey for your Bears, Andy. Like if somebody wants to come and mm-hmm. give a big offer to get up to number one, if they love like a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young, Bryce Young is I mean, dude, I'm not trying to be sizeist here, but he's so small like, it freaks me out. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know whatever he's gonna she's all the rumors are he's trying to weigh at two ten at the combine. <laughs> Okay, oh, man. How much? How much? How much fast food do you have to eat to weigh two ten? Uh, if you're Bryce Young, how much water do you have to drink like the day of? Anyways, that's beside the point. But first overall, th- th- <laughs> these are teams that up to the trade. scale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the mics aren't too close to him, so you hear like that <laughs> of the water going back and forth. But yeah, no, it's they're definitely a team that could trade up. I think we do. Uh, our brains are a little broken because they contended for a playoff spot right. towards the end, but it was in that nasty NFC South. Um, Speaking of nasty, the Denver Broncos last <laughs> the Denver Broncos last year were a bit of a uh, bit of a nasty watch at different times. Uh, Tank's guy, Mister Unlimited, was a big part of that. Another part of that was former Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett, who is now the Jets' offensive coordinator. I think the, half the league, damn half the league, needs an offensive coordinator. Uh, the Jets were the first one to fill that spot. <laughs> I mean, they got the bell of the ball here with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, Tank, how many years in a row is the team going to hire Nathaniel Hackett in order to try to court Aaron Rodgers? Like, are we going to be doing this for the next two, three years? Because it seems like that's the that's the rumors already. It's crazy. And, and if that is the case, that means that you're basing your entire hire on this guy potentially being good enough to lure Aaron Rodgers to your squad. Because obviously, he like, what do you do? Like, if you're Nathaniel Hackett and you go into this interview to be hired as a New York Jets uh, offense coordinator, like, what do you say to them? And like, like I, he must be hell in the in the interview process. Like, he must have velvet <laughs> lips and a velvet tongue. Because if you look at what <laughs> Russell Wilson was doing out there between those white lines, like, he was cooking with nah, not a bit of seasoning. And so for him to go ahead and get a job to the New York Jets, like, I really don't understand. I, I don't comprehend how that actually even happens. So I would like to be a fly on the wall to see exactly what he's telling those guys who are in the decision-making uh, process because I need to go ahead and get some of that in my life so I can go ahead and fail up the way that Nathaniel happened. <laughs> Man, I could not agree with that more. This is this is a remarkably soft landing for somebody who just had a, you know... <laughs> punchline of a of a season right just a just an absolutely terrible season and was was often at his worst like in the island games too right like in the primetime games oh, yeah. um so there was um, a lot of unfortunately a lot of them to pick from a lot of yes. island games oh to pick my from. gosh yeah 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 oh man i'm still scarred by that by that colts broncos thursday game that was the that was possibly the worst a- anyway like a unbelievable um not unbelievable it's the nfl but um remarkable landing spot for somebody who did who did absolutely nothing to help his resume last season but uh, like you've got some pieces right like uh, garrett wilson's a star Brees hall's a star like you've got some stuff to work with you're obviously you know they've they've not talked about angling for a young quarterback they have specifically called out the idea of uh, of landing a veteran quarterback and we, like we know who those guys are it's it's Jimmy it's Carr it's Rodgers um I, I guess Hackett is still some sort of valentine to Aaron Rodgers I don't I don't understand that relationship fully but hey like anybody who lands there is going to be a pretty significant upgrade for a pretty good receiving core. So I like, I think the, I think the dynasty values of these guys should already, should already go up a little bit in anticipation of that situation getting much better. Yeah. And there's definitely a chicken and egg thing to have with this, but like we have seen Nathaniel Hackett be an offensive coordinator three times prior to this, obviously the Aaron Rodgers years when he wasn't calling plays that was Matt LaFleur calling the plays but he was specifically famed for like designing the red zone offense never mind the fact that the Broncos had the worst red zone offense like we've ever seen but he was supposed to be the red zone guy there in Green Bay big part of that process those offenses were great 
But prior to that, he was uh, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator in 2013 to 2014. Not a good result there. Uh, he was the Jaguars offensive coordinator from 16 to 18. Uh, he was fired in the middle of the 2018 season and promoted in the middle of the 2016 season. So, you know, it's a little like messy there. But these, none of these offenses were very good. The Jaguars offense in uh, 2017 was uh, like league average with Blake Bortles. And I know, again, he didn't have very good quarterbacks here. We're talking about like EJ Manuel in, in Buffalo. We're talking about like Nick Foles and Blake Bortles, uh, Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. But yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's it's hard to parse out with Hackett's resume what's good and what's bad, except for last year. That was all bad. He's not a head coach, period. Um, but you're right, Andy. There's a lot to work with here. And it sounded like Robert Sala said, like, hey, the number one thing is we want to get a veteran quarterback in here. They do keep giving the lip service to Zach Wilson. Like, hey, we're not done with Zach Wilson. We're developing Zach Wilson. And, like, if you get – I actually think the Rodgers thing, Nathaniel Hackett aside, is the best thing that could happen to this team because, like, you get Hack. I mean, you get Rodgers in there, and, like, there's no – competition right like you're just sitting Wilson over there and it's just like okay if you want if you're here to learn from famous mentor Aaron Rodgers you go for it like whatever but yeah I don't know it's not hey, it's a not a, I have a question yeah, though, because like you, you made a really great point you said that obviously he's not head coach material that's why he was hired as an offensive coordinator but shouldn't the offensive coordinator be head coach material I mean when you look at the way that he managed that first game of the season against the Seahawks and he wasn't aware of like the situational football aspects of the game like do you really want that guy running your offense I mean it seems like he didn't have all the eyes died all the T's crossing so I mean that's just something to throw out there I mean because those are like some little blips that kind of popped up on the radar throughout the entire season and, and I mean when you paint the canvas that way what makes you think that it's going to be anything different when he has this leadership role on your team being the offensive coordinator I would I would question it but I guess the folks in the Jets I guess they don't I also think it's worth saying, Tank, that the Jets probably didn't have a, a ton of great options. Like, because Salah's going into his... I know that we think, like, oh, they have good offensive talent. They do have good offensive talent with Brees coming back from an ACL. But still, Brees is really good. They Garrett Wilson. We like Elijah Moore. But this is still a group with the Jets. Like, if Robert Sala and every, if they have a bad year, everybody's cleaned out next year, that, that's well within the range of possibilities. So I don't think they, had, they could attract, like... I don't really know who the hot offensive coordinator candidates are out there right now, but if there is one, I don't think that the Jets would be able to attract him because it doesn't look like a stable long-term job. And these guys all do at least come off the same coaching tree, you know? And that, 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 that I think, That's probably yeah. that probably was a big selling point, too, that Hackett has experience with Matt LaFleur. Obviously, they just dumped the LaFleur this year. Um, so there's at least, like, some skeletons there that remain the same, some bones of the offense, at least. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, also, though, at the same time, just one last note on this. If this offense has like two bad games in a row, like Nathaniel Hackett, the New York media market, I mean, he's he's yeah. going to get shredded. I mean, I, just, I almost kind of feel bad for the guy at this point, but uh, we'll leave it there with Nathaniel Hackett and uh, all the coaching stuff. Again, Dalton and I are going to do a full show next week about like every team's big offseason question. Um, we'll hit more in depth on these two offenses and how that might impact some players. And hopefully we get some more hirings before then, because like I said, Half the damn league needs an offensive coordinator. I think there's like eight or nine teams right now that just straight up need a coordinator without needing a head coach. It's pretty wild out there. So we'll get into all of that next week. But we've got big games here to talk about, boys. And let's start in the NFC. We've got 49ers at Eagles. Eagles are two and a half point favorites. Um, we're going to do this just like we've done the last two shows with the betting bros. We're going to talk about when each team has the ball. We're going to give a spotlight, player prop, DFS pick, matchup, whatever. And then we're going to finish with our picks against the spread. So let's start when the 49ers have the ball, Andy. And I want to hear from you here. Brock Purdy, you've, you were a, a famous Brock Purdy skeptic. Then you've been converted to sort of a, a believer. Um, we have yet to see the Brock Purdy big mistake actually count. I know he's had some dropped interceptions. We talked about that on the recap show. But is this the moment against a, pa a, pa a damn pass rush in Philadelphia that has four players with double-digit sacks on it this year? Is this the moment we finally see the Brock Purdy uh, big mistake? Yeah, I think this is I think this is really the essential question surrounding this game because we have a lot of known commodities here, and and Purdy is obviously a phenomenal story. But the, this whole thing could come down to whether this is the first game in which Purdy is like truly uncomfortable, right? Because uh, th this run that he's had, you know, seven starts, he hasn't fumbled yet. 
he's he's thrown two interceptions. He's he's only been sacked 11 times in those seven starts. Um, so he's like nobody's really speeding him up. And the few, the few times that we've seen it happen, like he's made plays out of out of chaos to his absolute credit. And then when defenses have had opportunities to like, you know, he's had a little bit of that like Taylor Heineke kind of luck uh, on a on a couple of misfires. <laughs> but overall, he's been phenomenal. He's also he's also only played like in, in all of his starts, he's played two road games and he hasn't seen a He hasn't seen a good defense on the road either. I think it's just Seattle and Vegas. Right. And they were fun games and Seattle, obviously a, a raucous crowd, but um, we're not, we're not talking about a degree of difficulty defense there. So now, now we're facing the league's best pass defense, a, a team that a team that sacked quarterbacks 70 times this year, which is a stupid number. And it's Philly, right? Like it is a hostile Philly crowd. So that is that is about as difficult a road environment as you can as you can drum up. Um, it's a, that, like that's the whole thing to me, right? Like if we get the typical Brock Purdy game and it's still a couple of touchdowns and 220 yards and he seems unrattled and um, what, you know, the couple of times that that he's forced into improv situations, he can make something happen, doesn't make a huge mistake. Like that is that is the path for San Francisco to win this game. Um, I think I think Philadelphia is going to put up points. I don't think, you know, I listen, I'm wrong all the time, but I don't think that this is some like I, I don't think this looks like the Dallas game. I don't think this is 17, 14. I, I think it is really hard to keep Philadelphia's offense down. So you've got to you've got to put up a number in this thing. And uh, and it, it honestly, it all comes down to how Purdy faces the the by far the like by orders of magnitude, the biggest uh, challenge in terms of road environments that he's seen. Yeah, tough environment there, Tank. Um, we did see Purdy play well against a Dallas defense who was under a lot of pressure but like Andy says it's going to be a totally different beast there I saw Debo say like oh our stadium gets pretty loud I'm like ah okay <laughs> it's gonna be a bit different there in Philadelphia this weekend I'll tell you that yeah actually it's funny because every talking point I have on this game Andy said it so maybe I could just say it a little bit differently uh because well you'll say it probably a little bit better in, in- <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is this, like whenever you talk to people, well, I won't say everyone just because I said that Andy agreed with everything I said, but there's a lot of people who I feel doubt how great that Philadelphia defense really is. Like how Andy said, like they lead the next team in sacks by double digits. They give yeah. up the fewest passing yards That's in the nuts. league. Like they can wreak havoc on your offensive line, on your quarterback. And I think the one thing that Purdy has benefited from is that he really hasn't had to do too much. And if you even look at the Dallas Cowboys game, like the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, they've been struggling a little bit. They got together a little bit against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But for the most part, that offense has been struggling for like the past month or so. So it's not like Dak and those guys put enough stress, enough pressure on the San Francisco side of the ball to say like, hey, we need to get outside of our box and do something that we're not comfortable with and within our offense. So what did they do? They leaned on the run game, even when they got halfway through the third quarter. So that's when they found they started to break through. And then in the fourth quarter, the well, like the dam broke. And then Christian McCaffrey, Eliza Mitchell, they were breaking all these runs. And that's how they were able to pull away with the game. As Andy said, I feel like that Philadelphia offense is going to have more success against the San Francisco defense, which means what? It's going to put more stress on that offense to get outside of that box and produce some points. And if Brock Purdy is going to be uncomfortable in the pocket with that Philly pass rush, he may make some of those damn it, Jimmy throws or damn it, Jimmy turnovers. And that's the thing that Andy was talking about as well. Whenever you had Jimmy Garoppolo back there, there was always this play late in the game where he either fumbled the ball or threw a ball he had no damn business throwing. And everybody in the whole damn stadium, and especially Kyle Shanahan, was like, damn it, Jimmy. And so that's the thing that Brock Purdy has been able to avoid all the way up until this point. Does it happen in the conference championship round? That remains to be seen. But getting to the props. I know Andy didn't mention it, but he's going to probably. Talk we'll get about we'll get to those we'll get to those right before we do picks. We'll get to we'll get to props like officially, but we'll, we'll finish. Okay, we're we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Don't get to it. I know you. I know you want to dunk on Andy with props. We no, all no, no, do. no, 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 guys, not going to dunk on. No, we we the same cat today. We the same cat. <laughs> but we'll we'll get to we'll get to pro- the spotlight in a second here. But um, I'll, just on the Purdy thing, like I, I think you guys are, are making great points here. Uh, you know about like you know, can he be forced into mistakes and, and the Jimmy Garoppolo part of it? I do think to Purdy's credit, Purdy has been so much more comfortable in the eye of the storm uh, when he's been in there than Jimmy Garoppolo has been. Like Garoppolo yes. even back to like 
back to college, you know, he was like, he would get put in a frenzy quick, like with pass rushing. Same thing with when he was with the Patriots too. That's just who he is. Purdy, I think is actually, I mean, we all know Purdy has like the easiest job in football. Being quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers is an easy gig because yeah. of all them, all, all, you know, Shanahan and all the guys that got around there. But I think he has as good as anybody can be in that very easy assignment. I do think he has been that good. And Tank, the, the Eagles defense is great. If they do have one weak point, it's like, in, in slot coverage, you know, they're talking about Avante Maddox. He might play. He might not. Um, I don't know. I mean, since he's been out, that's been an issue. Like, we remember um, the C.D. Lamb big game came against the Eagles after Maddox got hurt. Like, you're not testing James Bradbury and Darius Slay right. outside. Those guys are good. So, San Francisco, is Kyle Shanahan able to, you know, dial in on that slot corner matchup, that over-the-middle stuff, even if the Eagles defense is great? Can that be an area where, like, at the end of the game last week, they kind of, like, moved Ayuk into the slot a little bit. They moved Debo into the slot, get him on linebackers and stuff like that. That could be a potential mismatch if we see that early or maybe late in the game when they emptied things out for Purdy. That would be one way to keep him comfortable in this let's one. Let's not but, forget the commander's game, too, when they ran the ball down their throat. So if they 49 to get the run game going, and then that takes pressure off of Purdy, and he doesn't make those dumb mistakes. And that's sort of what I think about this game, too, because we, we're look, we're this a fantasy podcast. Like, we'll definitely talk about uh, the embarrassment of skill positions uh, players for San Francisco and the dudes that the Eagles have. But this feels like a trenches game to me just in general. And I think we can transition to when the Eagles have the ball in this one. Like I said on the dock, like, oh, they're not going to be able to run. Uh, the Eagles are not going to be able to run all over the San Francisco 49ers uh, like they were against the Giants. And I don't think they'll have that sort of like just crazy efficiency. But the Eagles offensive line is great. And, and as good as the San Francisco 49ers defense is like Andy, they still could establish some sort of running game against the 49ers, even though no one else has done it, because that's how good their offensive line and their rushing system is overall. Yeah, I don't I don't think there was a bigger mismatch in last week's games than the Eagles offensive line against <laughs> uh, against the Giants. Right. Like just just absolutely bullied them. Absolutely mauled them. Um, it was it was bad. And the, and the Eagles are so, you know, there's such a different rushing attack because Hertz is such a big part of it. Right. Um, so it's it's hard for me to imagine that they're just nothing on the ground um, uh, once they you know, once they get near the goal line, especially Hertz is such a factor um, that. The thing that is particularly interesting to me here, and I like the Niners are a great defense, right? Um, it, if they're not the league's best defense, then it's Philly, right? But they're they're kind of they're almost like a tier of their own um, sort of defense. But we, you you try to find it's not even really a weakness, um, but you try to find any, anything that is that is vulnerable about them. Um, and for me, it's you start you start looking at wide receiver performance against uh, against the Niners. Um, they get, they gave up 153 and two to Devonte Adams. They gave up 146 yards to Tyree kill. They gave up, you know, 91 and nine catches to Hopkins. They, they gave up over 200 receiving yards on the season in two games to Cooper cup, like, like alpha receivers have, have gotten them. Um, and, and Philly has two. Uh, so I, I feel like if there's a, it's not even a, it's not even a mismatch. Like the Niners are great. Um, but if there's a, if there's a spot where where Philly can really get at him, I actually I actually feel like it's it's uh, it's the passing game more than the more than the run game. Even though even though the run game is kind of the the core identity of these Eagles, I just man these receivers are so dangerous. We got like a we got like a pouty AJ Brown situation last week too. So he's got the he's got the squeaky yeah. wheel thing going for him. I it's the yeah it's that it's that passing game that I think is just going to be so dangerous. That's a great point. And it's it is those like perimeter receivers, even CeeDee Lamb, who is typically like a slot yeah. guy, made that big play uh, stacking a cornerback on the outside. Like the stuff I wish they'd let CeeDee Lamb do more often, like, you know, run out as a pure X receiver and, you know, win on go route, stuff like that. Um, I'll talk about that when we get into the props a little bit here, because I do agree, Andy, like that is the weak point. And you're not like Frank, uh, Fred Warner, man, is like an unbelievable player like he just closes down that middle of the field um you know Dallas Goddard was big against sort of that uh blitz scheme that the New York Giants run tank but I don't know that we're seeing as much Dallas Goddard this one because that middle of the field is just it's so close with Fred Warner like I mean you, you've seen plenty of great defensive players tank you were a defensive player in the NFL Fred Warner just is like a uniquely good coverage player that uh it seems just elevates that entire defense 
No, no, he's definitely a beast. And so that's why you attack the areas where they aren't as beastly. And that's why I'm on the same page as both of you guys. And I think whenever I was recommending props, whether it's, you know, any part during the season, especially in the playoffs, the one area you target is always the 49 er secondary. Because you can look at a common theme and like Rev said that if you have a stud wide receiver, they could take advantage. I go all the way back to week one, your Chicago Bears, who bombed over their head? Dante Pettis. Dante that was one of the major Pettis. reasons they won that Dante game. Pettis, baby. So I can go all the way back to week one <laughs> and bring up Dante Pettis. We could talk about Trent Sherfield up the seam, the first play of the game against the San Francisco 49ers where he went for a tub. We could talk about Jared Stidham strolling out there after they benched Derek Carr and then him getting busy with uh, Devontae. And so then we can get to the first playoff game where they're like, oh, the Niners are going to just walk all over the Seattle Seahawks. DK Metcalf had himself a game. The Dallas Cowboys don't have a damn soul to throw it to on the side. I like, I, I love Michael Gallup and I love some of these other guys, Brown. Yeah, they right. don't have a damn soul to throw it to on the outside, but CD Lamb and CD Lamb still got off. So you mean to tell me that Jalen Hurts with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith aren't going to be able to abuse those guys on the outside? Like, come on, man. That's a damn layup if I've ever seen one. And so I feel like there's not really anything else to talk about. Are the Philadelphia Eagles going to run the ball to keep them honest? Yeah. And they should have some success because you have to worry about Jalen Hurts' legs, which is going to put some of the linebackers and the DNs in some really mixed-up situations as far as, like, who are they going to take on the RPO? But let's not get it twisted. They're going to continue to stay stubborn with the run because when they take those shots, they're going to have the advantage over that San Francisco secondary. And I believe they're going to connect on quite a few of them. So let's move into the spotlights here, and, and we've all basically got props. I'll throw this to you guys because uh, we because we're talking about it right now. This outside receiver matchup, and AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are great players, and I think in real life the gap is closing a bit here in terms of like I, look, AJ Brown is like an elite player, and I think Devontae Smith is like is eating on his heels, man. He has been that good this year, especially to close the season to the point now that the prop lines are kind of closed. Like the receiving props between AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are incredibly close in this game. AJ Brown, it's 68 and a half uh, over under receiving yards for him. Devontae Smith, 65 and a half for him. Those gap that gap was not that close for most of the season. So, boys, starting with you, Tank. Which one would you rather have in terms of like the over, the, taking the over on this one, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith? Well, I think Rev hinted at it when you say that AJ Brown has a squeaky wheel effect. So I believe that you can definitely target him, thinking that he may get more volume than Devontae. But I think one thing that you can look at as well is the receiving yards. Probably one thing I love against the 49ers, and it seems to hit every time I recommend it, is the longest reception. I mean, when you have oh, a guy like one. Devontae Smith, you go ahead and take that. I believe it's at 24 and a half or 25 and a half. Guaranteed to hit over that thing. Almost guaranteed. Andy, squeaky wheel. Are you are you going with that one here? That one's that one's that's actually really that's a very good call by Tank. I might I might bet that. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't always bet all the stuff that we talk about, but like I might bet that one. That was a pretty good one. Hey, at least um, you actually can. I mean, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> these criminals here in California. Yeah, I mean, we can smoke I, as much smoke as much weed as we want, but we can't bet on sports. I mean, for God's sake, that explains so much about this podcast. Um, uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> I feel I feel like um, to your initial point about how the the gap is closed, like in these lines between AJ and and Devonte Smith, I. I would like to think that that's just really about um, a greater appreciation of what Devonte Smith brings to the table. So yeah, much as so. it's not like it's not like these are two players moving in different directions, right? This is just just no, yeah. this is just Smith kind of leveling up and people recognizing it. Um, he's great. Uh, I think I think they can both go over this. And if you if you had me bet um, each line, I would take the over on each. I don't I don't think it's an either or. Um, again, we've seen like, I don't know, I, we can point to a whole bunch of different games, but like all of the Washington receivers, um, found the end zone against San Francisco. Um, a bunch of secondary receivers have gone off against them. And again, players of this quality, whether it's Metcalf, Lockett, Lamb, guys, we didn't mention, um, like, like big time receivers are going off against this team. So I, I like them both probably to clear 75 yards. Yeah, uh, Traverius Ward, great player, but DK Metcalf, like winning on those go routes against him just a couple weeks ago, I can just picture AJ Brown doing the exact yeah. same thing against this mm -hmm. defense. I mean, that that's so easy. So if I had to pick one, I think I would pick AJ Brown, especially because we've got the squeaky wheel narrative, but both these guys can go off. And I agree, Andy. It is like, you know, those little stock graphs or like whatever it, you know, AJ Brown's just been like a slight tick up because I think people realize he's as good as like better 
not he is the same great player that he was in Tennessee, but I think people are like catching up to that. But then I think Smith is like on that rocket train and they're kind of closing the gap here together. If that may, that was a great visual for a podcast. I'm, I'm sure you appreciated that. <laughs> no one else saw it. And that's good stuff. Um, t- Andy, talk to me about your prop. And I know, Tank, you are on the same page here uh, with with Andy. Yeah, mine was uh, mine was Christian McCaffrey over 32 and a half receiving yards. And this was like I thought a lot of the prop lines in this game were pretty good. And I, d- I didn't have a strong lean. But this is one where McCaffrey is actually averaging like 10 more receiving yards per game with the Niners than than where this line is set. He's coming off a game in which he caught six passes The the only concern here is the the calf injury, you know, a couple of mispractices. But I you know, it's the NFC title game he's playing um and he's he's gonna he's gonna be there in his usual role and he's christian mccaffrey and again thinking about how much how much heat the eagles can bring on a quarterback and uh the kind of layup throws that are generally available in a in a shanahan offense i just it's hard to imagine that mccaffrey isn't going to see like five to seven maybe eight catches in this one that they don't build a, a healthy part of the passing game around mccaffrey i think he clears this he's cleared this most of the season, right? And I think he does it again here. Thank you. I know you're right uh, on the same page there. The, yeah, for, I mean, uh, yeah, go for it. Actually, I was going, hold on. For some reason, I don't see the Christian McCaffrey receptions prop anymore. I recommended it just on a show earlier today. It was Christian McCaffrey. They might have they taken it down just because of the injury you know, concerns like stuff like that. Although he's already said he's going to play, but they yeah. might have taken it down like to, to boot. They might have honestly made it higher than what okay. it was before. I mean, so initially Christian McCaffrey, I was taking the over four and a half receptions. It was at plus 110. And the thesis behind that was that more than likely Brock Pur- Purdy is going to face a little bit more pressure in this game than he did against the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to have more pressure on him to produce as a passer in this game because the Philadelphia offense was going to put more stress on his, his offense. And so therefore, if he gets in a more passing situations it'll lead to more check downs screen routes because philly likes to run a lot of man so screens the christian mccaffrey check downs the christian mccaffrey which should make it easy for him to go over that four and a half receptions in the game prop but then also if you look at it, if you like christian mccaffrey in this role you should also like debo samuel in the same spot and debo's number is four and a half and minus 110 so i think mm-hmm. both of those should be in play I think both of those make a ton of sense. Uh, yeah, look, yeah, we should have mentioned this earlier, but Chris McCaffrey, like, he's injured, whatever. He's playing his damn yeah. game. Like, yeah, and isn't it great that, you know, when we don't have a format to where we have to damn compete with one another about props to say, like, oh, if, if you get that one right, <laughs> then I get that one Like, if we could just sit on here and just kind of discuss props and, like, yeah. the proper fashion, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Or, maybe that's a little bit <laughs> But, like, boy, you get some competitive juices in this, and we like, oh, hell no. Nah. Like, I want to shoot the ball out, but you <laughs> oh, hell no. Nah. No, 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 I can't go with that. I can't be about that, actually. <laughs> yeah, this is, a, this is the gentleman's game, okay? Yes. That's, a, that, you know, that's made for internet TV action what we do on, on FFL, uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, this is this is the gentleman's game. All right, let's pick this game against the spread. Uh, I'll get us started. I'm taking the 49ers uh, plus the points here, plus two and a half. Again, I, I think the Eagles can easily win this game. I might, If I had to pick it straight up, I might pick the Eagles, but uh, I'm going to take the 49ers and the points here. I just... I believe in this team. I believe it's so. I believe it's really strong. I think they can take a good bit away off of the Philadelphia rushing attack. And again, we're talking about Brock Purdy making mistakes. I can easily see Jalen Hurts, who has admitted he's not a hundred percent. I could easily see him making a mistake against this defense as well. Um, I think it's going to be close. Um, I'd probably take the under on it, but I, I will take the 49ers here. Um, Tank, what about you? You're at least you you wrote your thing on the on the doc here. I don't even know Andy just leaving us in suspense <laughs> here for his pick. You write one in. Yeah, I mean, if I have to pick a squad who I think is going to win, if I'm going against the spread, I'm going to take Philadelphia Eagles at minus two and a half. I think when I look at it, both teams have really great defenses. Both teams have really good offenses. And I think the determining factor is the quarterback position. I felt like Jalen Hurts was playing at an MVP level before he injured his shoulder late in the season. And then I think a lot of times when we were looking at, okay, how are the Eagles going to come back off this bye? And we saw the Giants perform so well against the Minnesota Vikings. And we understand that the Minnesota Vikings are fraudulent. But that being said, the Giants came in on the heater. 
And then they stepped into Philly and then those boys came out and they were smacking from the get go. And I felt like I saw all I needed to see from Jalen Hurst to show that he's healthy enough and he really didn't have to put his shoulder at too much risk because that game was in hand early on. But best relief playing against a better team in the San Francisco 49ers, we're going to see him step his game up a notch. And I think it's going to be the determining factor for the Philadelphia Eagles winning because I think they are clearly the better, more talented team than the San Francisco 49ers, even though it's going to be a hell of a game. Yeah, I like this could be a prisoner of the moment thing for me. It could be recency bias. I don't know. Call it whatever you want to. I I was just so impressed by Philly uh, last week, and and it was not so you know easy. It looked so easy, um, and and each line um, utterly dominant. Right. I I think that that you know all due respect to Brock Purdy, who's had this phenomenal half season. Um, I, I think Philadelphia still is the edge of quarterback here. Um, and I, again, we, we talked about it at the top of, of this game. Um, this is, I mean, this is a new level of test for Brock Purdy, like this road environment against this defense. He's not seen anything like it. Um, doesn't mean that he can't have success because he's literally had nothing but success so far in the NFL. Um, but this is a, this is a real test and, um, Philadelphia will rip the ball away from you. They'll, they'll sack you four times, like before you get off the bus. Right. So I, I just think it is a, it is a more challenging environment. I feel like, feel like Philly should be at least a field goal favorite. Um, it's a little bit less than that. So I would, I would, I would take the Eagles here. Love it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do the AFC championship preview. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, we're back. Bengals at Chiefs. This line has moved a lot based on um, whether Mahomes is walking in practice, whether he's do- <laughs> I saw James Palmer report he did a little twirl or a spin, um, you know, at practice today and caught that on camera. So that obviously is going to move the line here a ton, whether he's spinning uh, Pat Mahomes. But right now it's Chiefs minus one. Um, I mean, they opened up at a home dog. That's pretty crazy uh, when, you, when you think about Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead, all that, 47.5 over under. Let's start when the Bengals have, have the ball. And again, this is a fantasy show, but we're going to start in the trenches. We've got to because the backup offensive line, three guys that are replacing uh, former starters for the Cincinnati Bengals, they held up extremely well in Buffalo last week, Tank. We know that. But – can they do it again this week? I mean, Chris Jones presents a much bigger challenge than anybody that Buffalo employs with Von Miller not in the mix there. I could easily see him being a big game wrecker in this one. Yeah, dog. I mean, honestly, it's gotten to the point now to where I just don't doubt the Bengals' offense. I don't doubt Joe Burrow. Like, this dude has an answer for everything. And we question whether the Cincinnati offensive line will be able to hold up against the Buffalo Bills. And that dude, Joe Burrow, just came out so thorough in that first drive. They were running the ball effectively. He was throwing, like, getting the ball out of his hands quickly on the little short routes. Then he'd hit guys over the top. Then you get the chase and you get, like, an easy little touchdown. It's like, damn, dog. Like, did the Bills even prepare for this? Like, were you not aware (laughs) of what these guys were going to do? And then they just put it on repeat. And so when I look at that, man, like, the Bengals are just so damn tough. And Joe Mixon hadn't had a game since the Carolina Panthers game when he went for five tubs and then disappeared for the rest of the fantasy season. But, oh, you just bounced back all of a sudden against the Buffalo Bills. And it's like, okay, I can see a path to some success here because if you look at the way the Jacksonville Jaguars attacked the Kansas City Chiefs defense, they were trying to push stress on the edges. You notice they, they had uh, Etienne, you know, on swing routes out the backfield and just trying to do everything they could to attack the edge. And then they have like these quick hitter dives up the middle. I can see the Cincinnati Bengals doing the same thing, not only with Joe Mixon, but having my man Jamar Chase in the backfield a little bit too. And so I think that there's going to be so many little wrinkles around here to where the the Bengals, like, you don't have to have any doubts about what they're going to be able to do on offense. They're going to be able to score some points. And, like, I know Chris Collinsworth said that my man Trevor Lawrence overthrew Christian Kirk, even though, you know, Christian Kirk dropped that ball. But there's one thing you can damn guarantee. (laughs) 
if Joe Burrow throws that thing down at Jamar Chase, those boys do not miss. And I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for that type of um, explosive plays in the game. And not only for Jamar Chase, but for T. Higgins as well. So I'm anxious to see this Cincinnati Bengals offense and come out firing on all cylinders because I think it's going to be something to behold because we look at all these narratives like, oh, the, the Chiefs got to get their revenge. No way you're going to let Joe Burrow beat you four times in a row. Well, I looked at the Tennessee Titans had plenty of opportunity to try to get revenge from the Bengals going in there and beating them in Nashville in the playoffs last year when they were the number one seed. What happened? The Bengals smacked that. The Chiefs went over there to Cincinnati earlier this year to try to get revenge for them knocking them out the AFC uh, Conference Championship round last year to make it to the Super Bowl. What happened? The Bengals tapped that ass too. So there's like, <laughs> I don't doubt anything about Joe Burrow. Like he may not be all flashy. He doesn't do the, the finger rolls and all that like Patrick Mahomes does between the white lines. But all he does is win games. But then once he gets in front of the camera like we are right now, he talks that hot cash and lets yeah, you know how good he is. And guess what? That dude is that damn good. You couldn't have said it any better. Like everybody on Cincinnati, Andy, is playing at the height of their powers, even Mixon. And it's funny with the Bengals run game. And I think that that's going to matter in this matchup in particular. In fantasy, we're all freaking out about Joe Mixon, like Joe Mixon, terrible as pick or whatever. And then you look at like from an EPA standpoint or a rushing success rate standpoint. And the Bengals had had like a really good run game all year because they just get like five yards, five yards five yards five yards nothing like big explosive except that panthers game um but even uh, coming off this game in buffalo everybody is really playing at the height of their powers for the cincinnati Bengals right now yeah i feel like first of all you you really hit on like the one potential vulnerability for cincinnati right the the offensive line which is clearly banged up not at 100 percent. everybody else is but but the o-line um, and Kansas City, like we, we talked about the Eagles uh, piling up 70 sacks in the regular season, like Kansas City was number two at, at 55. Yeah. They'll they'll put some heat on you as well. Um, that, but 70 really, to 55 being the gap, like just it broke, crazy oh, gap. broke my brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy gap. Um, but that is the that is kind of the the one way I can imagine uh, Kansas City preventing Cincinnati f- from getting to like 27 or 30 points in this thing. I actually so yesterday. I I rewatched uh, week 13 between the Bengals and Chiefs in part because it's just a great game. Um, I didn't I didn't like all 22 it or anything. I just watched the condensed game on uh, NFL okay, Plus because that's that's about my level of commitment right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that things to remember from that game, uh, it was Chase's first game back from the hip from the hip injury. Um, Joe Mixon didn't play. And like, you didn't even, you didn't even notice Samaj P Ryan, um, what, a, what a good day he was having. And then you get to the end of it and he's got like 150 scrimmage yards. Um, Chase and Higgins were, were untouchable. Um, in fact, each of them made two of the best catches that like you'll see all year. They just happen to come down like out of bounds. Chase was clowning people. Um, one-handed catch that on which he came out of bounds that I can't believe I didn't remember. Like a just unbelievable play. Um, at Burrow was, was fantastic. Um, they, they just didn't stop much of anything. Right. And that's, that's just who Cincinnati is right now. And they are, they are healthier and better right now than they were in week 13. And it's not like that was a game where either team was hiding anything from, from one another. Right. Like they, they knew that they would potentially have to face each other down the road, but like that was a, that was a super meaningful game for each team. So, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this game. I don't see what Kansas City can obviously stop because um, they didn't they didn't stop anything in that one. Um, P. Ryan was great. And I think now having both P. Ryan and Mixon uh, in the backfield is is going to make a difference. And again, I just I, there's not I, I don't see Kansas City stopping Higgins. They you know, he he was towering over over Chiefs defensive backs in that one. Um, and Chase is just playing at such a high level right now that this this feels like a like a 34-31 kind of situation, like a like a 30 to 27 situation, like most other Bengals Chiefs games have been. Um, and I, I just like I really don't see other than unless it's unless it's on the offensive line, I just don't see a vulnerability with Cincinnati here. These are probably two of the best defensive game planners, Steve Spagnolo and Lou Anarumo, except 
Lou just cooks all year long with these defensive <laughs> game plans and still brings the best in the playoffs. Spags is, is kind of like what the inverse of what Andy said. Like Andy's doing all this hard work during the regular season. It's like, all right, well, it's playoff time. So I don't need to be grinding all that tape. Spags is like the opposite. As soon as the playoffs hit, like Spags starts throwing heaters all over the place. I mean, we talked about the AFC ch- title game last year when these two teams played like Jamar Chase, six for 51. And just one touchdown, you know, T. Higgins got off with 103 yards. Joe Burrow just had, like, you know, just 250 yards. It was really the defense uh, for Cincinnati that slowed Mahomes down in the second half of that game. So good transition here to when the Chiefs have the ball. I'm definitely interested to see what uh, Lou Anarumo has here. I mean, that guy's just he's just on such a heater right now. But the biggest question, of course, guys, is like, is Mahomes going to be hopping around like he was last week? Or is he going to be closer to full form? I wish they had a rushing yards prop for Pat Mahomes up right now. They don't. So I could take the under on that um, because I don't think he'll be doing a lot of scrambling in this one here. But uh, any expectations for when the Chiefs have the ball uh, from from you, Tank? Obviously, Pacheco and McKinnon both ran well last week. um, But, you know, Kadarius Toney myth making continues. Just a strange game to sort of. To, to sort of talk about because we don't know what like we won't know until kickoff what Mahomes is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I saw a little bit of the warm up from practice yesterday. I haven't seen anything today, and as long as he wasn't out there looking like my man Kaiser Sose walking out the police station at the very end of the usual suspects, I'm like, okay, we got some action as far as Kansas City is concerned on offense. And so I'm not really worried about um, Patrick Mahomes' ankle. They're going to shoot it up with some Toradol, and that thing is going to feel magically delicious for about three and a half quarters, and then it's going to suck for the last uh, half of the fourth quarter. But it is what it is. Guys play through injuries all the time. When you look at what the Kansas City Chiefs should be able to do on offense is this. The one guy who has a really good matchup for the Chiefs offense, (laughs) guess who it is? Travis Kelsey. I mean, so, man, what are they going to do? They're going to try to feed Kelsey. I mean, it just kind of is what it is now. I have a feeling that my man Lou Anarumo is going to say, okay, let's try to make anyone but Travis Kelsey beat me. And in the past, that would usually work against the Kansas City Chiefs because it seemed like Patrick Mahomes was one, so depend on getting the ball to his guys, whether it was Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, or two, just always going for the big play. But the one thing that he learned last year with everyone playing that, you know, the two safeties up high and just making him dink and duck the entire way is like, hey, I know how to spread the ball around. I know how to be really patient. And then I'll be able to move the ball that way and then score touchdowns. Because if you notice, man, that first drive of the game last week, it looked like a damn cheat code. Like, it looked like I it looked know. like Tech Mobile. It looked like every time Andy yeah. Reid called the play, it was the perfect play against the defense that the Jacksonville Jaguars called. And then they just marched right down the field and scored. And, and so the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause about the Kansas City Chiefs offense is this. I think Mahomes is healthy enough to be able to do this, but once he was injured, you really start to notice how much time he buys in the pocket in order for Travis Kelsey and those other guys just to shake loose, whether it's Kelsey in the middle of the field or for MVS to get a step behind someone. And it's just, and it's not always just him scrambling around and running outside the pocket. It's just him manipulating the pocket within it too. And then once he was injured, it took a little bit away from that all. Offense, And so I feel like they're going to probably run a lot of their offense out of shotgun. You have shotgun runs, him trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And does that take away from the explosiveness of that offense because he can't buy the time that allows those guys to shake loose and make those explosive plays? That's what I really want to look out for because it seems like even though the Bengals have those issues along their offensive line, they found a way to navigate around that and still get the explosive plays in their offense. Will Kansas City be able to do the same thing, understanding the limitations that they have with Patrick Mahomes? That's the thing I'm going to have my eye on in this game. Love that. All right, let's uh, Andy, you know, hit you here with the Chiefs offense, but I want you to use it to talk about um, your prop because I love uh, your prop here in the spotlight section. Oh, yeah. So my my prop in this one was actually Isaiah Pacheco over 47 and a half rushing yards. Um, number one, he's he's done it in nine of his last 10 games, right? <laughs> like he keeps doing this again and again and again. And number two, again, like not that um, not that Cincinnati is going to approach this game plan wise exactly the way they did in week 13. Um, but they they were they were content to give up uh, uh you know, they, they didn't give any like breakaway runs to the Chiefs necessarily, but there were wide rushing lanes available to the Chiefs 
in that game because Cincinnati was only rushing four, right? And and they generally speaking, there's like six in the box. Um, McKinnon had some some uh, like broke off some really nice gains where he wasn't even touched until he was like five yards downfield. A um, lot of opportunities for Pacheco there. The 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 only way I can imagine Pacheco not hitting this prop actually is if Kansas City falls behind by like two or three scores and and then that goes away yeah. because he's obviously he hasn't that guy hasn't played 30 snaps in a game since November. Um, it's not like he's on the field a ton. It's just when he is, there's like a there's like a 50 percent chance that he that he gets the ball um, and it is hard to stop. And I, I feel like the Bengals probably, I, you know, Mahomes is compromised right now to some extent. So maybe Cincinnati doesn't have exactly the same approach, but they were like they were only rushing for dropping everybody. They did a really, really nice job against Kelsey in uh, in week 13. I don't I don't think he had a catch in that game until the second half. And even that one was like a was like a chip and release. And I think it was Sam Hubbard that he was chipping and Hubbard is as soon as he sensed Kelsey um, releasing, like just peeled off and almost broke up the play. Like they were, they were hyper attentive to Travis Kelsey and he, he didn't do a whole lot except I think his second catch of the game, he got gang tackled and stripped and uh, that, that fumble like basically turned the game. It was the hinge point in the game. Um, so did a very, very nice job on him. I, like is Mahomes going to have time to go deep downfield? The, the one or two occasions where I, I can recall uh, Cincinnati bringing more than four guys against Kansas City in week 13, it was exactly what you would expect from Patrick Mahomes. He found MVS for like 35 yards downfield, right? Like you just can't, you know, you, you're always going to lose the numbers game if you try to, if you try to get cute with, uh, with Mahomes. And I, I expect that to be the same version of Mahomes. I think, Cincinnati can't possibly go into this thing and just assume they're going to get like a like a vulnerable wounded Patrick Mahomes. You pretty much have to game plan for like the real deal um, and and adjust to anything else. But yeah, I think there's going to be opportunities there um, for the for the run game for Kansas City. Also interesting week 13 was like that was the game that started the Jarek McKinnon binge. Um, that was the game that began True. the whole like, you know, nine touchdowns in six weeks thing for McKinnon. So I think he's super involved here. He's already been out snapping uh, Pacheco by a ton. So I can imagine both of the like, it seems to me like if you're going to write the script for how Kansas City wins this thing, the most likely way is that Pacheco's in the end zone and he gets 70 yards and McKinnon, you know, gets a lot of those gets a lot of those short opportunities as a receiver finds his way to like 80 scrimmage yards and a touchdown or two. Like, I feel like those two are really going to have to be leaned on. Love that. And, and Pacheco has got so much pop. He could get you ha almost halfway there in like one yes. run, you yeah. know, with, with 40, like 47 and a half is just really low. Um, I, I like that there. Uh, I've continued to worry about the chiefs receivers. Like I just can't imagine like MVS or Justin Watson, like any of these guys really pop like, at some point it's going to show up. Like, it hasn't really. Their offense has just been so good. They just rolled right along. I feel like at some point it's going to show up, but it hasn't so far. And for that reason, for my spotlight, uh, I'm still sticking with Travis Kelsey here. Uh, let me the last seven playoff games for Travis Kelsey with the Kansas City Chiefs: 109 yards, 118 yards, 133 yards, 108 yards, 96 yards, 95 yards, 98 yards. His uh, over under this week, 78 and a half. Uh, I'll take the over there uh, for my spotlight here on Travis Kelsey. I definitely agree, Andy. Like, they'll game plan around him. Lou Anarumo, great defensive game plan and coach. But Kelsey just is the guy. I mean, he had 14 catches last week. Uh, 17 catches. Half, half the line, targets. <laughs> yeah, I, wasn't 40, I think it was literally 48 and a half percent. Like, half the targets going to Travis Kelsey. You can, again, the myth making with Kadarius Tony, like, oh, this is the week they're going to fully unleash him. Like, no, they'll probably have him run 12 routes and he'll get targeted on like half those routes, but it's all because it's gadgety little stuff. I just can't trust one of these Chiefs receivers to break this game open. I think Travis Kelsey gets most of the gets most of the love here. Tank, your spotlight I like because there's a lot of, you know, little stats going around Twitter right now, and, and they're true. That since Jamar Chase has come back, T. Higgins has kind of taken a back seat. You know, he's been used just like a regular number two receiver. But you think that might change this week? Yeah. I mean, the reason I think it's going to change is just because we understand that T. Higgins is the number one wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. They just have one A and they have one B. And I think a lot of times when I'm looking at these props, whether you're looking at Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, like when you have like these top tier players, they know people want to put a lot of money on them. And so a lot of times those props get a little bit juiced up. And so when I have a guy like T. Higgins who may be coming off a more quieter game uh, against the Buffalo Bills, I say like, hey, 
there's going to be a lot of attention focused on Jamar Chase because we know that Joe Burrow likes to target Chase in these big games. But that doesn't mean T. Higgins can't get off at the same time. We know that the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers have an advantage against the Kansas City Chiefs on the outside. And so when I see T. Higgins, like over four and a half receptions, like I like that. If you look at his yardage prop, I mean, I like that too. Obviously, when you see Jamar Chase, you see over 82 and a half receiving yards and understanding that Joe Burrow, I mean, yeah, it's a lot. But at the same time, too, you understand that Joe Burrow in the big games, he likes to feed his dog. And right now, Joe Burrow hasn't given me any reason to doubt him. Like, I like the four and a half receptions for T. Higgins better than that yards because it is a lot. But I can easily see my man Jamar Chase getting that as well because I feel like the Cincinnati Bengals are going to try to air it out a little bit more against the Kansas City Chiefs versus trying to run it down their throats. Yeah, I feel like the catches for Chase, six and a half, is is probably just because they've loved him on those stop routes, mm-hmm. especially lately, little quick comeback curls, uh, stuff like that. That might be that might be a nice one. Meanwhile, I think Higgins can get right. a big play. I mean, and that makes a good point, too, because Rev kind of alluded to it. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals do have those issues along the offensive line. It didn't show itself against the Buffalo Bills, but Chris Jones. Like, Chris Jones is that yeah. dude. Like, if we're not talking yeah. about Aaron Donald, Usually we're talking about Chris Jones. So they're going to have to like, hey, you don't have to pay attention to my guy. So that being said, it may be more of the like quick passes, dinking, dunks, getting the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quick. And then if that's the case, those reception numbers grow up. And so six and a half may seem like a lot. So T. Higgins at four and a half makes even more sense. Yeah. Hey, how about um, Kansas City? Don't do what Buffalo did. And like, ah, oh, we're just going to run our stuff. We're just going to sit back. We're gonna, Let's give them a little cushion. Just stop. Around, <laughs> Unbelievable, stop dog. Come back, come back. Come Especially back. when you see the blueprint that the Baltimore Ravens gave just the week before. I mean, running all kind of twists and stuff, just trying to make yeah. Joe Burrow hold the ball just a little bit yeah. long and then let your coverage work. And like I played for Leslie Frazier in Minnesota. I'm like, dog, like this dude really watched the tape from the week before and then just said, I'm going to come out here and run my stuff without Von Miller. So I'm not going to have any heat on Joe Burrow, the dude who's playing probably the quarterback position, the best as anyone in the league right now, and he's fully healthy. And you'll just continue doing the same damn thing for four quarters. And I like, I, I, it, yeah. I just don't get it, dog. I just do not get it. There's a big gap right now between coaches like Anna Rumo, who are game planning like week by week, even like quarter by quarter, drive by drive, certainly half by half. And then the guys yeah. like, you know, no disrespect yeah. to Leslie Frazier has been doing this a long time. But the guys who just and McDermott too, McDermott deserves some heat as well, just comes out and runs their stuff like you've got to change the picture for these quarterbacks, especially guys as good as Burrow. And that's the thing, like Pay Manning had the quote on the Manning cast and it was all funny games. I mean, they got a good laugh like, hey, you don't have enough time to make changes at halftime. All you really have time to do is use the bathroom and like <laughs> eat a couple of oranges and then go back on the field like that. That is true because short, like halftime in the NFL, like 10 minutes, is short as hell. But the really great coaches, they do use the eyes in the sky to see what teams are trying to do to them. You make those quick adjustments, like we'll meet up for about three to five minutes in that locker room. And if you have a really good coach, you are dialing in on some things that you're likely going to see in the second half and some looks that you can give them where it may cause a turnover, where it may get you a crucial stop on third down. The really good coaches do that. And obviously, we didn't see that from Leslie Frazier, and that's why they got that tail clap against the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe that's just what Peyton was doing at halftime. You know, I mean, not like... Well, Peyton didn't who, have to change anything. We're trying I was to make say, because yeah. of him. Yeah, All he exactly. had to do was go out there and do the same thing he was doing because he was beating our head in. <laughs> he was also kind of his yeah. own offensive coordinator. Yeah, right. right. Like, who, yeah, too. Exactly. Who's coming up to Peyton and being like, "Hey, uh, buddy, you know uh, this 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 time? Why don't we see the clip with like Jeff Saturday when they when like they're screaming at each other on the sidelines? Um, I'm sure Peyton was taking. Everyone's like, "Nope, just let him eat his oranges. Yeah. Let him let him go take a piss. Don't go bother Peyton. All right, let's leave him alone." <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah, Tank and Leslie Frazier are, are huddled up. You know, like, "Hey, we gotta we gotta figure this thing out." You know. All right, let's pick this game. Andy, you get us started. Um, I took I took the Bengals as soon as I could, as soon as they were getting a point and a half when this thing opened. Um, I may have done it for the wrong reasons, right? Because I was like, oh, man, they, you know, they've number one, they've had a lot of success against this team within the last year. Um, and number two, I've got Patrick Mahomes limping around, right? Um, now now it seems like maybe the ankle is going to be less of an issue. Uh, certainly, but all the reports have been glowing, not that we should have expected anything else. Um, but I I, I I do definitely feel like the Bengals should be a small favorite in this one, um, independent of the Mahomes situation. They've just, 
they've just played this team so well um, that you know they're they're coming off a game in which they in which they actually beat this Chiefs team and they didn't even have all their weapons. So uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like the Bengals in my mind just a just a slight favorite. I think this can be a classic game. I hope it is, um, but the Bengals a slight favorite for me. Tank, where are you at? Yeah, I'm on the Bengals too. And for me, midway through the season, I said that the Cincinnati Bengals were probably playing the best football in the entire NFL. And then they suffered the injury of the Lyle Collins. And then you have Cap that goes down. And then you have Jonah Williams that goes down. It's like, oh, man, like how are they going to be able to navigate around all these, these offensive line injuries? And then you see them against the Buffalo Bills, and they really didn't miss the beat. And they still like the, look like the same explosive offense that's just been wearing everyone out. And with that being said, and you have Patrick Mahomes, who should be able to play and won't be as hobbled as we saw in that game last week, but he won't be able to, be, to play 100%. And I just feel that with the Cincinnati Bengals playing with the confidence that they are and with them just feeling like they have unfinished business after losing that game in the Super Bowl, it almost seems like a team of destiny because I, I try to come up with all these reasons for these other teams to win, like Buffalo, they had to deal with the DeMar Hamlin thing and they seem like a team of destiny or Patrick Mahomes, like, you know, the Bengals beat them and they seem like they should be able to try to right that wrong from last year and be a team of destiny. But like the Cincinnati Bengals don't give a damn about any of that whatsoever. <laughs> They've shown that yeah. for the past two years. And I think they showed it in the conference championship game too. And so I feel like they're the better team. I think the Bengals win. I'm a little concerned that they're just the better team uh, that Cincinnati is, but I'll be the outlier here. I'll go with the Chiefs uh, minus one. I just think they've got a game wrecker up front in Chris Jones. I think that's going to show up, and I think the fact that Steve Spagnolo is not a just run your stuff type of guy that he will turn things up in the playoffs against better teams. I think that shows up here, and part of me too, just like I can't imagine the Bengals being like five and zero against you know Mahomes, like I just I, like or I, or whatever it'll be. I just yeah. can't imagine that in my mind. Like I feel like the Chiefs have to get one of these, um, and even if it seems crazy that they're going to do it with a hobbled Mahomes, I kind of think they do it here. Uh, so I'll be the outlier when it when it when it comes to us here uh, on this one. But that's gonna do it, boys. Hell of a show. Um, yeah. Feels good. Feels good that we didn't have a you know a, like an entire FFL gap here. We got we got to do this thing again. Yeah. It, was, it was good to have. It was good to have both of you, Tank, especially you. No, no doubt. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun to talk ball with y'all, and I always enjoy the. Is you know longer formats too. It seems like we went on FFL. We just always so pressed to hit a few talking oh, yeah. points, and we never really get down into the nitty gritty, and then just kind of share some ideas and how we view the game. So, I always enjoy coming on these podcasts and really chop it up with you guys between the lines. And so, thanks for having your boy. Appreciate it. It's so good, Andy. When we not only do we not have to do like uh, you know as rapid fire fast on yeah. FFL, it's so great when we have the two games. It's just two games. We spent like uh, forty five minutes talking about two games, uh, which is <laughs> feels incredible. We don't have to be like, okay, your thought, your thought. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> it's a, it, for me, it's been it's been a total pleasure since we finished the waiver wire pods, and I can finally talk about good players again. Um, that's <laughs> that been, must be nice. That's been awesome. And then you're so right, just to just to talk about two games and to have like the four best teams in these two games, um, pretty definitively. Uh, yeah. This is just going to be a great weekend. Hell yeah, looking forward to it. All right, in the meantime, make sure you're following this entire crew on Twitter. Andy Barons, of course, at Andy Barons Tank is at tank williams 13 and uh i'm the lonely underscore bro at matt Harmon underscore byb make sure you're following at yahoo fantasy as well for all the tweets during the games on sunday enjoy the hell out of the conference championship games i'll be back on monday with scott to recap both of those until then we're out